So Daniel, the mighty Ten Hag revolution is still underway. Still underway. Still under, still under, that doesn't make any sense, does it? But a good victory for United yesterday. One of those games off two halves. Quite poor in the first half, excellent in the second. I don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I'm beginning to think that Eric Ten Hag is the fucking bollocks. I think he knows what he's doing. I think he does, yeah. I question but, myself frequently because I'm like, oh, is he using subs at the right time? Why has he got Beghorst in the team? But it's all working out. I mean, that second half where he had Sancho as a kind of left-sided number 10, Bruno as a kind of right-sided number 10, Beghorst as a 10 number 10, and Rashford up front, that's nothing like I would have ever suspected. But it's brilliant. His ability to read a game is sensational. It yeah. really is. So, the, so if I would say that for the first time since Fergie, I have confidence that I can watch Dross in the first half and they'll come out and in the second half it'll be different. Yeah. And I think they do it in different ways. With Fergie, it was more about man management, more about cajoling performances out of people. That's the impression I get. That they didn't come in and he said, well, you stand over here a bit. And you like, there weren't, it wasn't so much about the tactical changes as inspiring them to go and put themselves on the line. Right. Whereas Ten Hag, it seems a more... He's thinking about why the game is going as it's going. And so yesterday, it was... I mean, they showed on Match of the Day that United's wide players weren't staying wide enough and stretching the pitch. I also felt that they weren't tight enough in midfield, that they were just... And that happens when Casemiro doesn't play also. Yeah. Know? And it's been happening for years. It even happened under Fergie. I remember when they had when we had that brilliant start to 2010 11 and it was and it was Anderson and cleverly in midfield and even then teams were strolling through our midfield and because we haven't really had that player much since even since then but and it felt like they got tighter in midfield as you say by moving Sancho and Bruno into those positions it suddenly meant that it was harder for Leicester to get out yeah. and it was harder for Leicester to play through and his I now have faith that they will be crap in the first half and what, what we have also is that we can be crap in the first half and still score a great goal because we've got some lovely footballers. Correct, but yeah. then come yeah. out and actually put on a performance in the second half. Whereas with Mourinho, Van Gaal, you knew that if they were crap in the first half, they'd probably be crap in the second half as well. Right. Or they actually changed around a little bit that they did have some crap first halves and they kept getting themselves into trouble. And then they'd come out and the attacking players would do something. Yeah. But, but this is much more okay this is going wrong. This is why it's going wrong. Do this. Exactly. And it'll start going right. And it exactly, yeah. doesn't work all the time, but almost all the time you see something. Ten Hag said after the game, he said, we didn't follow the rules. We didn't follow our play style. In his principles, brain. I think he principles, called them as well. Principles, yeah, yeah. Which was both very Dutch in, in his mannerisms, but, uh, uh, but very, also very revealing, right? He, he is a bit of a technocrat. But he's, he's very clear about what he wants from this team and how he wants. And he's adjusted over time. I mean, the the Sancho, Bruno, Savitzer, Fred, Box, midfield, it's very, very of the, tactically of the moment. This is what a lot of top teams are doing to to put in midfield all the time. The innovation here is Veghorst as the pressing number 10. I mean, just never, I never saw it. But like clearly, Ten Hag knows way more than I do about football. And he's implementing it. And I suspect he knows way more than many of the other managers in the Premier League. And certainly too much well, for Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, it's so. that. It's the, the level of security and confidence you have when your team are playing football, but also going about your daily life. 
that this thing you care about so ridiculously much is being dealt with by someone you're certain is competent. Yeah. And one of the ways I look at it is I always remember when Fergie was manager of United and other teams were signing players. I didn't really care. United's rivals be signing players, even players I thought were good. And it's just, okay, well, fairly sure that Fergie's got this. You, you didn't you panic can... when Glenn Tyson went to Liverpool? No? <laughs> yeah. Glenn and John Barnes and Peter Beardsley. That, was, that wasn't good. And I mean, Glenn Hussain was a great one because he turned out to be so rubbish. Fergie loved yeah. him for years. Yeah, yeah. Then eventually he goes to Liverpool and he's crap with the candy shirt with the white paint flecks on it. That's it, yeah. But it was more... So yeah, when Chelsea signed, say, even the, even late on in Fergie era, Eden Hazard, who we knew was a really serious player uh-huh. because we went, made, went to a lot of trouble to sign him and let him do an announcement. Uh, yeah. Um, on okay. the pitch yeah exactly. you have him but it doesn't matter because we got Fergie mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm starting to feel that way about Tenach that he he's got this I mean I still think the biggest difference between Tenach and every other manager is that he's nailed the signings mm-hmm. because it will always come down to talent in the end obviously there are tactics but he, he's, he's nailed the signings and none of the other managers did that's and true, that's, yeah. That's the single biggest difference because he's got the best players that they had who were still there. Because there's a few of them. Of them. Not yeah. many, but yeah. Yeah, but, but but like a few of them. Luke Shaw. Yeah. He's got he's got Rashford. He's got Bruno. And he's then added to that very serious players again. And he's keeping Varane fit. Although Varane didn't play yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although they didn't never had Varane fit, really. He's kept Varane fit and he's done a really good job of that. Every time he sort of leaves Varane out, part of me thinks, good. Because... Because he Protect needs to him. be fit. Yeah, he needs to be fit for the big games. Well, Lindelof came in yesterday. Maguire wasn't even on the bench. I'm not sure whether... He's injured. He's injury there, yeah. Ah, oh, shame. I was going to use my... I was going to use it as a chance to beat him with a stick. But it, I mean, Lindelof did fine. Leicester, Leicester moved the ball really well in that first 30 minutes. I'd they're say... They're still good. Yeah, they're a good side. And they've been progressing this season. They had a really poor start to the season. But Iheanacho, Harvey Barnes, nice move uh, the one of the shots that Dave saved and he pulled off another one showing us he's still got those moments his stats Dave are still kind of mediocre honestly if you look at all of them but uh, he can still do that thing and that that saved United in the first half he made the saves necessary yeah so because I mean Brendan Rodgers talks about Leicester missing chances but it didn't really feel like that to me in that the one where Harvey Barnes went through one-on-one that was a brilliant save yeah yeah. I always feel, really, that if you're going through one-on-one, you should score. Most of the time, yeah. Yeah, you, sh- you, should, you should always score. Obviously, it's not possible for, to score all the time, but you, you should score all the time. You score everyone. And that was a brilliant save, but you could say maybe Barnes should have put that one away. But the others, like the Iheanacho header, he did pretty much everything he could have done with it. Yeah. It just, the goalkeeper was there to make yeah. a great save. And what he did was really clever there was he sort of dived behind the ball it wasn't just the reactions. It was the anticipation to know that in order to get there in time, he had to go a little bit behind the ball because uh-huh. if he went straight to the ball, yeah, it'd the ball him. He'd, he'd get the air would be him. He'd, he'd be too late. And yeah. he just gave himself that extra split second, it felt like, by going sort of behind the ball. Yeah. And then United, it was interesting because they did move the ball through midfield. And we had this interesting, Leicester that is, had this interesting situation where Fred was kind of the most advanced midfielder of United's, Apart from apart from Bruno and Garnacho in the first half, of the of the three in the centre of midfield, if you count Veghorst as well, and Sabitzer, Fred was the one that was pushing forward. 
They left United a bit open. I thought they changed that a bit in the second half. They closed that space down unless they weren't able to kind of run through that space. And I think a, a lot of that was United's tactical fault. But Leicester moved the ball well. I mean, Savitzer, I thought I had a great game eventually. He he really does move the ball really well. He created seven chances. I was looking at the data. I was like, seven? So he, he got he got another pass before the pass. Yeah. In for the which he did for Rashford's goal last week. He the he what he got before the first goal, I think it was. It was him that won the ball to get it for Bruno to then play that outside the mm-hmm. outside the boot pass. And yeah, he looks I think that he looks like what we thought he was gonna look like, potentially better than Fred, potentially a better net positive to the balance of the team than Ericsson, maybe. Probably not good enough to want to keep as a first choice. Yeah, and and I don't know if that's even on the cards. Where I mean, probably Bayern would take money, but we'll we'll, we'll see. He's had what three, four games now, and it's probably too early to make a choice on that. It was a desperation signing because the United were desperate, and we were down to the bare bones of the midfield. Now we've got a few coming back. Casemiro served his sentence, a, a very harsh punishment. Given what else we've seen this weekend. So what did you think about Zabitzer? Should you think he should have been sent off? No, I thought he tried to pull out last minute. I think it's enough of a... I mean, it's, it's obviously the studs are up and it's 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 a bit high, isn't it? But I, I feel like last minute he's trying to he's trying to remove himself from it. But it's... I mean, it was one thing, I guess. It was one of those. Yeah. It feels like that's all you need to say. I mean, it's <laughs> definitely... In, in, in football vernacular, you could just go, oh, I was doing this one of those, really. But I... Graham Sinez was certain he should have been sent off. Oh, of course he and was. And in general, as a football writer, I always try and remember that people that have played the game and managed it know more about it than I do. Uh-huh. I'm absolutely certain that Graham Sinez knows more about that kind of challenge than I do. Oh, yeah, he's well practiced. Maybe, but maybe he was just thinking about himself. Like, if I tackle like that, I'm trying to tear your thigh apart. That doesn't mean that Zabitzer was trying to do that. He doesn't look like that kind of lunatic. But... If he hadn't been sent off, we, I wouldn't have been sat here saying, I can't believe what they did to my boy. No, well, no. And and my my defence of him that he's trying to pull out is probably not a very good defence because really, is it dangerous or is it reckless? Was he in control? Dangerous and reckless? Well, do you know, was he in control? No. And and so he's ticking quite a lot of boxes there. I mean, it's a worse crime than Casemiro's, but maybe the gods are just balancing things out. Yeah, and I think what talking of Casemiro, like one of the things we were talking about just before about the way that Leicester strolled through United in the first half, that is what happens when Casemiro's not there. Yeah. And also, particularly when Casemiro's not there at the same time that Varane isn't there. Uh-huh. Because I think those two give this team its its certainty, a lot of it, a lot of its certainty, its assurance, personality that if you're in that squad and you look around and those two are there, you can think this is probably gonna be all right. Because those two pretty much every football match they've ever played in their lives, the vast majority of them, it has been all right. It's gone okay. And Quite miss- a lot of the time, when- yes. <laughs> yeah, and so when you don't have those two together, aside from the the basic tactical fact of Casemiro's presence, it's also just the, the certainty. But one thing I did quite like about United's performance, at least, is that even though they ended up being outplayed for 15, 20 minutes in the first half, was they did start well. They started both halves yeah. well, which we'd seen them not do recently. Yes. Which after a massive game, massive effort in midweek, they probably had the excuse to get out there and be a bit slow, and they weren't. So I, I, I thought that was 
well done by the manager and the players. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they got that message. A, a word about some of the goals. Bruno with the outside of the foot assist for Rashford, who uh, was just about onside. Not quite as close as the second one, but... That was a really good finish, the first great, one. Great finish, yeah. Just hard those, across the keeper. And those are also sometimes the ones as Rashford you concern that you're thinking he might miss, where, where he's got a bit of time to pick the correct option. He has in the past got lost in the supermarket. And I mean, he said he was going to swear it, and then the situation changed. So he thought, okay, I've got to go there. It's, the way that he described his thought process in the interview afterwards was in what must have been probably not even a second, was uh-huh. showed someone for whom stuff is happening really slowly at the moment. Yeah. Where he's managed to slow down the chaotic reality of Premier League football to make the correct decisions in a cognitive manner, even though things are happening at, at that speed. And that was really pleasing. And Jesus, you're really good. Yeah. Well, well, yes. One, he's he's in the form of his life. And I know that it's not accidental, obviously, Ten Hag has him playing in a certain way now that means he's getting more shots on target, more shots, more shots on target, and he's confident and he's getting into the positions that he needs to score those goals. I always coming back to your your point about the, the thought process, I, it always amazes me how quickly elite sports people make these decisions. I mean, if you've ever been to football, it's, it feels like there's a little bit more time. I mean, it's wide and open and, and there isn't really, especially in the Premier League where it's so intense. I mean, some sports, I don't know if you've ever seen a lot of live tennis, actually gone to the court, it looks different on TV, but gone to the court and how quickly they're able to adjust from forehand topspin, forehand slice, backhand, whatever the shot rate. I'm like, how's this possible in less than half a second when the ball's travelling at yeah, 90, 100 miles an hour. Incredible stuff. But uh, yeah, and I mean, there is a thought process there, but there's a lot of instinct as well. And and I mean, it's nicer for Rashford when it is instinct, but now he's also, when he's having to think, he's not fluffing it like he used to. So. No, he's just, I mean, everything is just happening perfectly for him at the moment. And that's, I mean, that goal was good because it was United able to find that goal despite all the other things that were going on in the game at the time. And yeah, it was just a really, there was just a real level of authority and certainty in that finish that yeah, this is, this is how to, this is how to do it. And just the ability to then execute it really well. Like the, the one that he missed, the sort of the one and one that he missed, that would have been an incredible goal if he'd scored it, mm-hmm. was a bit more of an old school Rashford finish where he sort of did all the hard work to get into the position and then sort of just twatted it as hard to stray the goalkeeper. But I, t- I, I was watching the game and I was reminded I can't remember who it was, but after probably the, not the last international tournament, maybe the the world, maybe the Russia World Cup, or maybe the maybe the competition after that, one of the England players, and I can't remember who it was, said that Rashford was the greatest five-a-side player he'd ever seen by miles. And at the time, I thought that is kind of interesting because I wouldn't particularly have picked that. And watching right. him the last few weeks, and watching him yesterday, I thought I can totally see that. Casemiro called him out as well, didn't he, earlier in the season and said he's he's much better than he thought he was. So maybe there's something about in Rashford's makeup where it was, although we've seen great stuff from Rashford on the pitch, that it wasn't all there and and the coaching is is bringing it all to play at the moment. It's all the elements, isn't it? He's putting all the elements together at the same time. So the stuff that makes me think he was, that made me surprised he was a good five-a-side player was sometimes decision-making with him can take, took a little bit long and he's sometimes able to produce the feet in tight spaces. But 
what we're seeing now is like the way that he's able to lose his men constantly. He's got this new trick as well that we saw against Forest. I think we saw it against we saw against uh, against Barcelona when he got in front of Kunde. He's got this way of shaking his body and shaking his feet over the ball, and it's absolutely lethal because it can get body between man between man and ball. And defenders finding it really difficult to, to get at him, and I think we'll get some penalties for it. We, we didn't get the Barcelona one, but he's used it more at the moment to yep. get shots away when you thought that they wouldn't be able to be got away. But yeah, it's just that he's seeing everything slowly, which is enabling him to do it quickly. And we're seeing the combination of the shooting and the great feet in tight spaces and just that electric gas that most players don't have. Electric yeah. Gas. Electric terrible. gas. Yeah, no. That's a terrible metaphor, Daniel. Hybrid or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Ten Hag change it at half time. Sancho on for Garnacho. I, I mean, it's a, I guess, a reflection of you know he wasn't able to get the ball wide to Garnacho to really sort of he's he's much more direct. So, but also I think just that Le- Leicester had the extra man in midfield and bringing Sancho in sort of boxed it, boxed it out more. United were just able to dominate possession a bit more. I mean, I think I think they might have actually had less possession than Leicester overall. And, but then the goal came like pretty quickly afterwards, didn't it? I mean, fifteen minutes after half time or something. And they started the second half really well. It was, and I think the thing that I really love about Sancho is the feet in tight spaces. Yeah, it's great. And the weight and timing of the pass. And the thing, the first few times I watched Sancho play, I thought he might be quite hard to play with this guy because you're not sure when the ball's coming because the footwork. And the way that the ball sort of travels under his legs and he sort of sometimes lets it go on the off stride where mm-hmm. you think he's got to take a stride to move it and actually he moves it then might make him quite hard to play with because he's got that element of surprise, surprises defenders. Well, maybe it surprises the attackers that he's playing with as well. But the thing then I realised what you have to do with Sancho is just make your run to where you want the ball and don't worry about how the ball gets there. Just the ball will often get there because he's got his ways. And there was, that's what I thought with his goal, actually. The way that he got it to Bruno was obviously, it wasn't surprising that he passed it to Bruno because that ball was on. But the timing and the weight of the pass didn't seem exactly possible. Mm-hmm. But it didn't matter because it got there. I mean, did. Beautiful goal, the third one. And lovely moment for, for Sancho, who's obviously had a tough time of it. I mean, no, no one's talking about exactly what was going on with him, but clearly it's known throughout the squad. Bruno tweeted afterwards, you're getting there little bit by little bit, step by step, I think he says, step by step. The Rashford goal, a lot of com- weird complaining that that was offside. I mean, the uh, the linesman put the flag up, but it wasn't offside. Luckily, we have VAR, which we all love, don't we? And never question at all. He was well outside the margin of error on that one. And so perfectly good goal. I mean, a bit straight at the keeper. I wonder whether the keeper should have got that one. I think that sometimes it's it can be the hardest place to save it. Like it, he finished it very emphatically in that position, yeah. Which suggested to me that he'd seen the gap. That the key. I mean, Danny Ward. Was it was it? There was Danny Ward, wasn't it? Who who who? Yeah, did have that period earlier in the season where he literally couldn't chuck everything in. Yeah, but it felt like. He'd seen a gap under the undercarriage of the goalkeeper and he put it there because the goalkeeper's not going to stand with his feet together. But yeah, it never looks quite right when when that happens. But I would say that we maybe could blame the keeper, but it didn't look like a lucky finish. It looked like he saw the gap and sort of snapped the ball there quickly so the keeper couldn't do anything about closing the gap. Yeah, and a good win, basically. 
lot of keeping up the pressure on Arsenal and City. I don't think anyone expects us to actually win the league, although it's, re- it's only three points behind City and five behind Arsenal. There's a game in hand there, I guess. And City and Arsenal got to play each other again. So there, there are routes to to winning the league. There, it seems unlikely. Oh, it does seem unlikely because we know we're not really good enough, I would say. But if City are favourites and we're only three points behind them, yeah, then it does sort of feel like we're in the mix. And in just forget about like the practicalities of being in the mix. If we look at are we as good as these teams? If you say those first two games were not this team, and I think that is fair to say. I'm not trying to like get into like my auntie had bollocks, she'd be my uncle situation. I'm not saying, therefore, we're really top of the league or anything like this. I'm just saying that if we say United season, of this being Eric Tanach's team started with that Liverpool game uh-huh. after those first two games when you'd had a look, then this is championship form that we've seen since then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. forget in, in terms of the in terms of the numbers, in terms of the points. Never mind the performances. In terms of the points, we have got as many points more or less as anyone since then. More points than City since then, haven't we? For sure. And ifs and ifs and buts. If if United had won those two games against Brentford and Brighton, we would be very, very, very much in the mix right yeah, now. Yeah, it's not about yeah. I'm not saying so, in terms of whether we'd be in the mix. I'm just saying that in terms of. The football that we've seen since Ten Hag said, right, this is what I'm doing. He saw it. He had his bad hull against the Milton Keynes Don's moment and changed everything. And it's been his team since then, for sure. Yes. And, and uh, absolutely, it's championship form. The, the, the losses that have come are either didn't play well against Arsenal very late, had a really off day against Villa. What else and are got, there? And got walloped by City. Got walloped by City, yeah. Again, before Casemiro. Before Casemiro, also... yeah. Also, we have to accept the fact that City were brilliant that day. Yeah. Also, and yeah. even if we'd had Casemiro, we might well have lost that game. But they haven't particularly hit those heights since then. And it was, I mean, it was a very, I hate to say it because I hated seeing the Artets celebrating, but I i allowed myself a, a good, and a nod of the head when, when Arsenal won that game because for City to beat Arsenal in the week, you would think that that would be the time I mean, I was surprised they let them off when Arsenal lost against Everton. But then to beat them in midweek and then let them off again by drawing with Forrest mm-hmm. suggests that this is not a team that you can rely on not re- or expect to just go and do whatever it takes to win the league. Whereas those years they were competing with Liverpool. I know it was close, but I always felt that whatever Liverpool would do, City would do just that little bit more right? because they were better. Because you used to see with the United teams under Fergie that they would do whatever it took to win the title. And some years they win the league by a point or two. But if it would have required three more points, they would have got those as well. You felt like they would have it's got just, it, yeah. yeah. Whatever, whatever the, the rivals push you to, you do. It's interesting and, because Jack Grealish said in midweek that he felt like City were going to go on a big run. And and you said it before, and it just seems seemed inevitable they'd go on a... 12 match winning streak or something and that's just it's just not happening and and Pep's tinkering constantly he's playing with this three at the back at the moment Foden's out of the side and apparently not happy about it and and then over at Arsenal although there's flaws in that team they've clearly got some stones to to score two injury time winners that yeah clearly clearly there's some personality about the the team I mean it, it Arteta and his 
fucking theatrics on the touchline and his tight little trousers and his stupid hair. There's, <laughs> there's, there's really a lot to dislike about him. A lot. But there's much more to dislike about City winning three in a row and five in six, clearly. Yeah, um, I mean, I, this would be a massive, a massive result if Arsenal were to win the league. And I hate myself for saying that. And I, I, and I just, the thing with Arteta is that it doesn't seem like his demeanour is just the best way to go about this. That said it a, few, a couple of months ago, that if they're still in the hunt in May and in March. And the pressure's gonna, really on. Yeah, yeah. Like, what's he going to be like then? And the point of it all is to try and take the pressure off your players. And uh-huh. someone messaged me on Twitter saying, well, what about Klopp then? And I thought about it. I thought that is a fair point. And maybe the only difference between Klopp and Artets is... You know, Klopp can do Yeah, Klopp can do it. We know he, he, he turned up having won in this country, having done it with Dortmund, won two league titles in Dortmund, got to Champions League final with Dortmund. So the players were able to invest in the touchline injustices and theatrics because he came with that reputation. And maybe that's the only difference. I don't know. Or maybe it's just that... Maybe it's the fact that also I think like Klopp's, Klopp's got some charisma and some presence, and I don't think Arteta's got any of either. I don't know. No, it doesn't feel I like he it does. I thought was a fair question. It is, it is a fair point. I, I've never really... Klopp's behaviour doesn't really wind me up. I mean, it feels... And it, and it may be... I mean, it should do, right? He's a scouser, right? He's a Liverpool manager. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't kind of go, yeah, well, all right. He's just angry or whatever. Whereas Arteta doesn't feel like he has much personality. He's also got very young team Arteta, and I wonder whether there's just like because there aren't that many of the old heads that really have a have room to complain that they don't. I I don't know. I don't know inside the Arsenal dressing I mean, room. Arsenal fans love him, so maybe as they should would I guess now they do. They weren't at the beginning of the season when they were calling for him to be sacked. Of course, I think that maybe it's just like I watch it, and it's just like why are you acting like you're some kind of significant figure in football? <laughs> but then he sort of is now. <laughs> so I mean, I, I, part of well, it, I feel like is that where when I see Jurgen Klopp doing it, it's like, well, okay, you are, you've earned it. And let, let's see just, if he actually wins something first. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would still, I would still probably bet on City because it feels like, although it is almost the end of February, there are more games to go at this point in the season than there usually would be. And it's another fifteen or fourteen of your City. So, yeah, and that's a, which that's there, a which lot there of big games. Be. Yeah, which there wouldn't usually be at this point in the season. So it's not quite the stage where it would usually. And it looked like Arsenal were running out of steam. They don't have a lot of options, and obviously, winning is the best way of retaining that head of steam. But if it gets to a tight finish, and Arsenal are knackered, then obviously you would back City. I mean, I also do have to go to City. I also have to go to Anfield and Liverpool look like they may, may be about to get some form back. Maybe. We'll see. Well, they're uh, getting the players back and that is would always be the main thing. That they've suddenly, not just on the pitch, you look on the bench and there's Firmino and Jota on the bench. Yeah. And Diaz is going to be back. And suddenly they've got some of the better players and it feels like he's found some better kind of mid- midfield balance also, like, Bacetic is is playing well. Looks like he look he's like a player. And does, having yeah. that different kind of option of someone who can take the ball under pressure, can carry the ball, is and physically is young, is something that they've been missing quite significantly. But yeah, I think if I were Tottenham, I'd be worried about what I'm seeing from Liverpool. Yeah. I, I mean, they did it before. I wouldn't actually be surprised if if Liverpool make it into that fourth spot at this point. 
Not that I want them to, just wouldn't be surprised. I mean, talking about the fixtures, I think Cities is quite friendly there final 14 obviously they're in the champions league that's different than arsenal who have got well they'll have europa league games we'll see whether they care about it or not anyway let's not to do a lot of title talk because united are in this title hunt I whether also we like whether we like that or not well we do like it <laughs> <laughs> i also liked what ten Hag said yesterday by the way and i think partly this is because of like weirdos on the internet and not just weirdos on the internet saying that maybe bruno's not that good we talked about it the other week didn't we saying that at some point Bruno is going to become a problem for Ten Hag. <laughs> and the first thing we looked at the video that John McKenzie of The Athletic did, that yeah. I, I, I saw his side of it. Yeah. But the thing to me that I just couldn't get my head around was I don't think Ten Hag sees it like this. And so what he said was on Rashford, he said, he's getting into positions, but don't forget the team. I want to highlight Bruno again. Two great assists. There are so many players that can pass Rashford the ball in the right moment, like Bruno, Jade, and Fred. And then he says... The second half was all us and Bruno Fernandes played a magnificent game. The team was putting Rashford in the right positions, especially Bruno. He creates how many passes he gives behind he crosses in. Not only Bruno, but I think he's doing a great job. Yeah. This is not a guy that thinks when I've when I've advanced this team another season, you're going to be a problem and I'm going to need to bin you. And one of the things that I thought about is I looked up yesterday. How many games did you see this? Did you see this on Twitter? I did how not. many games Bruno's missed in his career? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I saw you put that. Hardly any. Yeah. Two. He's missed two games in his entire career with illness. And that is phenomenal. I I mean, I think like a lot of us, I would quite have liked to have seen him take a seat at the side after the third goal yesterday. Yes. He plays a lot of minutes. And and during the lockdown season, it felt like he burnt out at the end of that season. Although a lot of United players did. But yeah, no, it's incredible. It's an incredible record. And a lot of flexibility. I mean, playing off the right, He's never going to beat a man, is he? But he still it opens the pitch up for him, and he's still finding the passing angles because so. he can see. I guess he can see a lot of the pitch. And I don't. I guess I don't. I wouldn't have a problem with Bruno on the right if it was a starting position. So when you like play Rooney, Ronaldo, Tevez, I think when they played as a three, it would usually be Tevez through the middle, and then the other two on the flanks. But the game would then once the game starts, people run about. That gives you that flexibility, and if. If United's front three was whoever it was, it's more about if, in fact, I don't even mean the front three. I mean, you have a centre forward and then you have a three behind. Let's say it's Rashford, Sancho, and Bruno, or the three behind Veghorst, or well, Veghorst is behind and they're behind Rashford. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make a lot of difference necessarily who starts where, as because they'll have the freedom to move about on the pitch. And so you would want to see Sancho turn up on the right and Bruno be in the middle for a bit. It's only, I don't want to see him stuck to the touchline to the point where our best player's not getting enough of the ball and where we're not getting enough width down down that flank. But he's, he's, he's getting better there. And because I feel like we've now got Sancho, who I think his best position might also be there, mm-hmm. it gives us the scope to stop Bruno on the right without losing as much and also, hopefully, the scope to give Bruno a rest. I mean, because I felt like I wondered if before this Leicester game, it might have been Sancho in behind and Bruno had a rest. Yeah. And now it's like maybe they're going to try and get through one to this week and then start thinking about leaving Bruno out. Is, is it Everton after that? It It is. I forget, actually. I completely forget who, who the United have got after it. I'll look it up. Not Everton, sorry. I didn't even mean Everton. I meant West Ham. West Ham. Barcelona, Newcastle. Yeah, West Ham. First and then West Ham and then Liverpool at Tanfield, which should that should be fun, shouldn't it? Always love that one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what Ten Hag has shown with these players is there's a lot of flexibility. He's talked about this as well. 
the fact that he actually likes Bruno on the right. I've always hated that because I think it limits him. But he doesn't think about it as a, a right winger. He thinks it, about it as a wide number 10, which is exactly the way, same way he's talking about Sancho. Now, if you don't... And you know who like that? You know like the wide number 10 is Uncle Ralph. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so, by the way, did Fergie with uh, with David Beckham for years. So, you know, his but, but Uncle, Uncle Ralph. Ralph liked exactly that. He like, did, and, yeah. and, and that was why, and he dropped Bruno at the first opportunity. He did. Because he yeah. thought that he couldn't play that position. Yeah. Uncle Ralph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had, uh, had a back and forth with someone on Twitter this week or yesterday about, about Ten Hag. Because, you know, like given United's executive, executive's record, in picking coaches and players over the last 10 years. I don't want to give him too much credit for finding Ten Hag at all. And someone was like... I didn't, cause I didn't find him. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was, he was known about. Yes, yes. Yeah. They were sailing off to the Netherlands to, to <laughs> discover this, this new manager. Anyway, yeah. How much credit should be given to Murtagh for, for selecting after a rigorous interview process Ten Hag yeah, versus but... someone else? I don't know. I mean, because after all, Murtagh was the man who picked Ralph as well. Um, well, it's but... also just that like, if you'd have asked me who it should be, I would have said him as well. Yeah. <laughs> but he is clearly the right guy. For and sure. At the right time. And it's and having football people involved in that decision for the first time is probably helpful. Yeah. And they've had a few goes at getting the right manager and they got it wrong. And now now that now they've got the right one. And yeah, for the I mean, for the I... moment, until uh, the new owners come in and uh, some hedge fund manager's son is appointed, or the uh, the emir as the emir of Qatar's son starts uh, meddling in things. Or, by the way, actually, and just to be fair, to have a go, at all the potential owners, Ratcliffe has been accused of meddling at, at uh, Lille, hasn't he, and uh, getting involved. Although he's a, he's, a, he's a niece, no niece. Sorry, niece. I do niece. And uh, so that has been an accusi- accusation level. Although, as I understand it, Ineos's management culture is decentralised. So I don't know how true that one is. Anyway. I think, I mean, if we're going to do the ownership, I think we can probably conclude that Ratcliffe isn't a good bloke necessarily. I don't think he is. Let's get on to that in a second. Shall we Shall we talk about ownership first and Barcelona after that? Let's do Barcelona. All right. Bit of a big one, this one. <laughs> yeah. I... I was so fucking gratified by the way United played. In God, they good. Yeah. In that this is the first time since November 1998 when United drew three all in the new Camp that they have gone to play Barcelona or Madrid and they've let it all hang out and they've yeah. tried to put it on the opposition. And this is my probably my favourite thing about Ten Hag is we know for sure that in every game United are going to go and they're going to try and impose themselves. Yes. And they're going to try and take it to whoever it is and it doesn't matter who it is. United are going to try and put it on them. And it hasn't been like that. It wasn't like that at the end with Fergie. And it wasn't really, it wasn't like that, basically. And after that, we lost, after we lost that tie to Madrid in 2000, they went in the new camp and Fergie's love, with his love of history and football history and that particular game, Real Madrid against Eintracht Frankfurt, game, which was the day that my dad got his 11th past the 11 plus. So they'll okay. stay up and watch it. <laughs> 1960. What year was it? Was it 1959? I tried to play for Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah I can't 1969 remember. Uh, or 1960, one of the two. Yeah. And so Fergie sent United, Madrid was scared of United in that game. And Fergie sent United in the, out to play in the burnabout like they were playing Di Stefano and Henzo. Yeah. And they were yeah. in Copper and they were not. And they got ended up with that terror of the nil nil draw, that love, the, the not scoring goals in the first leg away from home, a classic of the Fergie era in the 90s. And then in the second leg, United played really well. 
But when they when they went behind, they just threw everything at it and they didn't get away with it. Mm-hmm. And from that game onwards, Fergie changed. He did, yeah. Yeah. And there was no there was none of this. There was no free for all of just no. we'll just the go occasional and play game. These but, teams. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Deportivo yeah. away maybe yeah. in two thousand and two. They were brilliant that night. Um Roma at home. But there were they they, they they tended not to go away to the the big European teams and just engage them in a game of football. And obviously the most egregious example of that was uh, Barcelona in 2008, where yeah. United were the best team in the world. And played they anti-football, did, yeah. They did not yeah. need to go to Barcelona and play Wayne Rooney as an auxiliary right back and behave yeah. in that manner. But they did. And it's not like that anymore. That like After the, the three, I wrote down what Fergie said. After the three or draw in Barcelona, he said, both teams trying to win with scant regard for the consequences. That's how football should be played. In a sense, this match was a throwback to the days before detailed organisation of teams. Hmm. And I thought of it watching United play the other night. United Ten Hag always wants to dominate games, but they're dominating in a very different way against Barcelona. I mean, I don't think there's anyone, any surprise to anyone that Barcelona had 60-odd percent possession. Xavi has built a side like that. They they are in sort of Guardiola's image. Not exactly, but similar. And he's got a lot of ball-playing players. But the way United dominated was in transitions. Just completely obliterated Barcelona. And they should have scored four, five. It wouldn't have been unjust for United to have scored that many on the night. It just completely took them apart. But Barcelona's average defensive height was almost 60 yards. I mean, they were just so high. They were trying to compress the pitch and United were direct. And, and Ten Hag did this at Ajax as well. They had the highest percentage possession for all his years there. Really, really high at Ajax. But they also went direct when they needed to. And United did that. Not in a hoof it up the field way, but in just moving the ball from back to front really quickly because Barcelona in that transition were not able to reorganise. And he picked that out. Yeah. And, and, and they completely dominated as a result. That per part of the game. And and it's a real shame they didn't come away with more goals. Yeah, I mean we 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 did have the opportunity to finish that tie, but then without Pedri and Gavi in the next leg, such is huge. Feels I mean, like we really should not be. And we Busquets really should be progressing quite comfortably. Actually, yeah, because they're going to be playing De Jong and Kessie in midfield, and and maybe Sergio Roberto, and he's nowhere near the quality of Pedri. And yeah, so they they will not have the same kind of quality. I mean, obviously they've got players who can do special things and Lewandowski is still a very good player though it doesn't have the pace of old but they were reduced to hitting pot shots I mean so many of Barcelona's they it was 18 shots each in that game so many of Barcelona's shots were from outside the box just really low quality chances yeah I mean the disappointment like with a few days of kind of perspective is that United really should have finished it and I was just I was totally surprised how Barcelona just couldn't adjust to United's, United's pace of football either. And and like they were shocked. Balaguer afterwards came out, was the, the mouthpiece, right? But came out and said, oh, I, I thought United were favourites for this game. I'm like, Barcelona were like 11 points ahead in La Liga a week ago. <laughs> so I the thing I think the, about the draw, the way I, I guess, justified it in my own mind to not be aggravated <laughs> was that at this point in this team's development, a two-all draw playing like that is probably worth more than a one-nil win, or like we got in Paris. I know it wasn't a one-nil win, like a win like that where yeah. you scrounge, where you scrounge a win because we know we know that this team can win any game of football because they've got some really good attackers and some really good defenders. But the, the ability to go to Spain, away to Barcelona, not be cowed by the occasion, and to play the way that they played, to go behind 
and then immediately go in front as well and play playing that kind of football feels like a more significant staging post than like a scabby win where you're actually able to go to the new camp against the team who are miles ahead in Spain yeah. and play like that. Well, quite. So after United got that scabby win in Paris, thanks Ollie, still a magnificent moment. United got spanked by Barcelona twice, completely dominated in the next round and, and that didn't happen and it was a mark of the, the progress. And, and United should win this next, I mean, no way goals, so it's, it's, it's going to come down to who wins the game as it, as it kind of should be. Uh, and United are going to, ha- I think, probably going to win. I mean, I think the, the change is the fact that United are now stronger got pretty much everyone back apart from Anthony and have Sancho and Martial, fi- no? Both oh, years, and Martial I forget he exists. you forget he's there yeah. <laughs> yeah so you know nearly nearly fit we'll have Ten Hag's preferred midfield uh, who do you think he'll be I think you know that's a that's a big it's a big one isn't it I mean Casemiro Casemiro Bruno Sancho Rashford obviously all start I think and then I mean it's Fred Ozobiter isn't it yeah, it's Fred Osterhout. I mean, Beghorst starts, of course, because he always does, and 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 Ten Hag loves him, <laughs> just loves him. He talks about him in such glowy, like a son. And and probably, <laughs> I mean, it's Fred Osterhout, and I think Osterhout is the a better all-round player. But Fred is he's just got that ability to get in the right position, score, and create when you don't expect it. I mean, the ball for Rashford inside the channel yesterday, fantastic pass, and that's where you get the assist. In fact, the. The, the Bruno one before that is should be an assist and a half. So yeah, and on the balance, I think I think Sabitz is the better all round player, but it's probably Fred that will get the nod. But I don't. Know. I guess maybe it will depend a bit on who he wants to play against Newcastle because I mean True. we do have this situation where we could have to play extra time on Thursday, yeah, and then extra time again on Sunday. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're gonna, we should we shouldn't. I've, I don't want this to come back and bite me on the arse, but. I feel like we should be able to get rid of Barcelona without Barcelona without Dembele, Gavi, and Pedri and Busquets. We should be able to get rid of them in ninety sure. minutes at home. I think. And then again, I was um, that kind of level of confident in two thousand and nine that United would would bully Barcelona. <laughs> so. Okay, I, I I was not. <laughs> oh, I think Even I went I, into that one going, "Yep, yeah, I'm pretty sure United are going to win this." I feel when like, I got yeah. to that game, when I, I can't believe I'm going to admit to this. When I got to that game, I decided it was, but I could wear another drink or two, so. The, the boys I was with, they all went in. I think I had a spare as well. I had to meet someone to give them a spare. And I found on the floor a plastic bottle of a Courvoisier. Not full. But <laughs> you, it was, like, it, tempting. It was, it was soon empty. <laughs> yeah, I've gone done it. And, I, and I, I did remove the Courvoisier. I did liberate the Courvoisier from the Courvoisier bottle. Having found it on the floor outside the Olympic Stadium, I did do that. And I feel like that was a wise call because that was not an enjoyable evening. It was not. It was not. We don't dig into that too much. <laughs> I hope Thursday really <laughs> is. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling far too confident, but Ten Hag has kind of enabled that. All right. Let's talk about the ownership stuff, shall we, before we leave? I know Daniel has to get to work. So we've got the soft deadline passed on Friday, Friday night. The ones we know about are the public ones, right? Well, we know about three, and I think there are five, just from talking to some people. So we know about the Qatari bid, which is a state bid. i just just not even going to entertain the idea that we're pretending this is another organisation. But anyway, it's... 
Qatari Investment Bank chairman. Apparently, his private wealth, although he's been a, like a middle manager at a bank for his entire career. But, you know, <laughs> how has he? There was a good thread, but but Nick Harris did on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up, yeah. I'm not going to just it's rip very it good off. A very good piece as how well. How much money yeah. this guy would have had to have? Uh, how much money this guy would have had to have earned? Three hundred thirty-three million pounds. Yeah, yes. <laughs> get himself enough money to buy United. Yeah, I've obviously, yeah, yeah. obviously, it's a complete load of bollocks. It's the same bit. Could well, like, and if we just want to pick it apart. Qatari Investment Bank is the major shareholder in the Sovereign Wealth Fund, which is the major shareholder in the the sports fund that is investment, the investment lead in Paris. They, they're all intertwined. It's the same thing, right? So it's a state bid. And if you're good with a state bid with a dodgy human rights record and, and a basically an apartheid employment system and fewer rights for women and no rights for for LBGTQ people, then great, good for you. It's not, it's not for me. And then we've got Radcliffe and Ineos. Sorry, can I just so, add on that point yeah, yeah, also please. that with with this kind of state wealth, I personally I don't like United's financial might combined with state wealth. Even if it was a benevolent state, I don't want United to be able to financially dominate to fin dom the rest of the Premier League. Well, of course, quite fin dom maybe, but no fin dom no. Yeah. But no, no, it's the Death Star blowing up Alderaan. It, it's uh, it's it's it would be cheating, folks. Like, see, you financially dope for years, so Paris Saint Germain that would be United double doping. Um, so I'm not for it, even though it would lead to a lot of very hollow silverware, very hollow. Then there's Ratcliffe, and to be fair to all those people who push back when I push back on the Qatar bid, he's not a perfect human. This is a petrochemical company with an awful environmental record, a pretty dodgy employment record. Some pretty question, dodgy Brexit record as well. A very dodgy Brexit record, and yeah, you know, this is this is not your benevolent billionaire. Well, maybe he's benevolent when it comes to United, but the rest of his career, no, he's he's he's, he's definitely not perfect. Uh-huh. So, although people seem more upset about the fact that he had a uh, he had some corporate seats at Chelsea than uh, the fact that uh, the company he's built and the way he's built it, very odd. And then we've got. The other one that we know of is Elliot. Uh, Elliot, I don't believe, are looking to actually buy United. Elliot is an activist hedge fund in the US. They buy parts of companies and look to get a fairly short-term investor return by either selling off parts of the assets or doing some corporate restructuring, often, often splitting companies apart and so on. It looks like this is more like debt or at least equity to debt or debt to equity similar to the way they did with AC Milan when they lent money to the Chinese guy who, lent, who owned AC Milan, who couldn't then pay the debt back and they converted it to equity and they ended up owning AC Milan only to flip it to Redbird Capital for three times as much inside a year. So that'll tell you everything you need to know about Elliot. And then there are a couple of other private equity plus sports entrepreneur type bids, it looks like, who are not actually doing the PR game and releasing their details. It. I felt like this was not a good week for me in where I th- think this is going to end up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't, I don't have masses of evidence to make me think it's going to end up being the Qataris, except for if it feels like if the Qataris want it, they will bid more than Jim Radcliffe will. And the Glazers won't care about anything apart from that fact. The cash. Oh, of course they yeah. won't. I mean, I wouldn't expect them to start caring about United right now. By the way, just to clear up a, a couple of things, that there's the t- two questions that have been raised a lot recently. One is the leverage that Ratcliffe 
appears to be proposing to take with JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs. JP Morgan, by the way, the, the backers of Super League, awesome record there in football. I, I don't think that's a problem. It would be on Ineos. And the reason it's on Ineos is because they are the entity buying the asset and they've also got way, way, way more assets than United. So it'd just be much cheaper. It's not going to be piled on United. I do not expect United to have any debt post this takeover. It's perfectly okay to leverage to get liquidity. That's what Radcliffe's doing. I'm not worried about that one. The other issue that came up was the wording. So the Qatari press release said 100% Manchester United and the Radcliffe one said majority shareholding. I think this is just semantics. Neither of these parties can buy anything other than the Glazer shares. Those are the B shares that are on offer. Everything else is on the public markets. It's on the New York Stock Exchange. You can go buy some today if you want to be part of the process. Most likely, and we don't know it, the 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 dragging rights within the Articles Association on United will allow for a full purchase afterwards. I don't know the details of that. Dragging rights are just like, are you allowed to like force a takeover? That's what the Glazers did when they, they bought out Cornwall. They forced a, a takeover of United. But anyway, long, boring equity, corporate equity shit, but uh, it's, it's not a great week. There's no perfect solution here. I yeah. think it's not even that there's no perfect solution. It's the the least worst solution probably felt feels like Ratcliffe. Yeah, but probably. now that there is state involvement, it feels like if they really want it, then we can't rely on anyone to stop it from happening because yeah. the Glazers won't stop it from happening. The Premier League definitely won't. UEFA might have a, a word in this, but they believed Red Bull when Red Bull said, hey, no, Salzburg and, and uh, Leipzig are two different entities. <laughs> yeah, the so. course of dealing suggests that it, won't, that it won't be like that. We can always run to the European Club Association and go, hey, guys, this isn't fair, except for the chairman of the European Club Association is the chairman of Paris Saint-Germain, who's also part of QSI, who's the same entity as the people that apparently independently trying to buy United. So anyway, awesome yeah, stuff. Yeah, there just doesn't seem like there's any way to stop it from being Qatar, because who, no one, no one with the ability to do it will do it. Yeah, unless they're not as serious as we think they probably are. That's right. I mean, if it turns into an auction, I don't expect Ratcliffe to be liquidating a bunch of his shares and stock in Ineos to do it. Although he could, right? So they, they, their revenue is about fifty billion dollars a year. This is a big company. All right, I guess that's it. Oh, <laughs> we'll, we'll know more in the weeks to come. I mean, we'll start the process. I don't actually expect it to be closed very soon. But, but very soon is United versus Barcelona. Come on, Reds. Please. <laughs>